Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, media trainer and editor of veganbusinessmedia.com, the multimedia blog providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Tim Barford, owner of organic hemp products firm Yayo and organiser of the VegFest UK festivals, which attract tens of thousands of visitors each year. Tim's owned Yayo since the 1990s. Based in Bristol, Yayo has topped the Ethical Consumer magazine's Best Buy categories four times for its range of organic, vegan, hemp food and body care products. As well as running their own events in Brighton, Bristol, London and Scotland, VegFest UK also sponsors and supports other vegan events in the UK. This is another audio interview that I did for my book, Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Now, I'm from the UK originally, and when I went vegan in 1996, there was an annual vegan festival that was held in a small hall in central London where I lived, and it probably saw maybe, I don't know, maybe a thousand or so people through the doors. Now, the London event alone attracts over 12,000 people, and it's held at the prestigious Olympia venue in Kensington. I was invited to speak at London VegFest UK last October and to launch my book Vegan Ventures at the event. And I've got to tell you, I was blown away by the number of stalls, the speakers, workshops and panels that were on offer, as well as the numbers of people attending. There were queues around the block on both days, which is something I never thought I'd see. Thousands of people interested in learning more about vegan living and literally beating the doors down to do so. <laughs> so I really take my hat off to Tim and co-organiser Alan Lee for taking veganism in the UK mainstream. And of course, remember, Tim does all this while running his hemp business, which is pretty amazing. In this interview, Tim talks about the importance of having a strong team around you to help your business grow, why you must be willing to spend money on marketing and PR, making sure your passion for your business doesn't exclude paying attention to margins, overheads, competition and other aspects important to running a business and much more. Here's the interview with Tim Barford of Yayo and VegFest UK. It is pretty full on. Doing events, events is a it does consume me, and it, it's not for the faint-hearted. Um, at the same time, it's also a lot of fun, and probably the biggest thing is it brings up whole new, new, new opportunities, new chances, new basically new venues, new new places, new people to work with. So it's it's always fresh. Um, there's very rarely a show that's the same as the year before. Uh, and all the shows we do are generally very different in terms of our three shows, Brighton, Bristol and London. They, they've all got very different dynamics and, and therefore they all bring up different challenges, uh, some, some of which is great. Some of also you could sometimes do with less of, you know, uh, uh, for instance, Bristol is an outdoor event. That's the one that's been going longest now. That's for 12. We're in our 13th year in 2015. 
uh, that's an outdoor event. Uh, so that also got music in it. Uh, it's like a festival. So in the, in many ways, it's the most fun. Uh, it's it's in many ways the easiest, uh, very easy place to work. Bristol authorities are really good to work with. Uh, very relaxed place. Contractors are really easy people who want to help and make this work. Very rarely do you run up against any kind of issues in Bristol of what do you call negative negative reactions or people not wanting to help. It's it's all uh, very easy. That's great, but then it's just outdoors. So you know what? If it rains, obviously <laughs> that's going to bring problems. And in 2014, for the first time, we really, really did get very wet. Oh, excessively wet. Yeah. <laughs> Friday was just really wet, and then Saturday just got even wetter. So <laughs> it was just torrentially drenched by Saturday <laughs> evening, but Sunday, fortunately, the sun came out, and it made a huge difference uh, to the whole festival. And it was great for us stallholders and traders. We all ended on a real high. Most people took enough money to sort of cover the weekend. You know, there was seven thousand people down on Sunday, oh, only about half that on Saturday. So what was amazing though is we had all these people, three and a half thousand people down on the Saturday, even though it was really, really wet. So. That was really hard. Those are good numbers. Fantastic numbers. But challenging, as I said, whereas, for instance, in London, different story, you know, um, working at Olympia, very high profile, West End of London, uh, lots and lots, very busy, some major exhibitions going on, uh, uh, millions of pounds been spent. uh, Although we're the biggest vegan event of its nature in the UK and potentially in Europe or one of the biggest in Europe or in the world, etc. In terms of events at Olympia, we're like tiny, you know, we're very small. And, um, you know, literally in very different place to work, but very, also very, you know, as you work there now, we've worked there two years and we've learned a lot. Um, they like us, we like them, you know, we've got a really good team there that we work with. <clears throat> the contractors are always a challenge. We've got a lot better working relationships with contractors because we've now sort of found our own feet there. Uh, but yeah, incredibly challenging. I mean, Britain started airstrikes against Syria uh, the day that uh, we built our show at Olympia, you know, the, the, the level of terrorism threat in Western London. Light rises several notches as we declare war on another country, pretty much. So that all has its knock-on effect. There was behind the scenes quite a lot of stuff, you know, to do with that threat, threat, threat rising levels of security at our event. Of course, as in any public event uh, of its nature in in, in London, especially um, Brighton is just like really loads of fun. Brighton's really easy. People down there are really easy. It's, it's a party city. It's, 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 it's just loads of fun. Family. It's it's not so expensive. It's it's not cheap, but it's not as expensive as West End London. Uh, it's a really good show. We've been doing that one now in our seventh year. So they all bring different different challenges. Um, I, I, it's a big ask. It's a big ask. If you're going to be an events organiser, you've got to be pretty thick-skinned and pretty round-shouldered. 
Uh, you've got a what drives you, Tim? Like when you say I know you had the variety, is it the fact that you're you're so passionate about veganism that you really want to spread that vegan message from an ethical perspective? Or what, what's your pretty much? You know, yeah, uh, I, I've been vegan thirty years. I want to help people go vegan. Uh, I think going vegan solves a huge amount of problems that we face both in, as individuals and as humans and as sentient beings and as indeed the whole planet of anything alive on it going vegan helps tick so many boxes that it's the answer and in many in many respects has replaced a belief system of some kind of i don't know religious belief or uh, sort of a national fervor belief that, that we've we've evolved with uh to a point where actually we've now got the answers at our fingertips we can almost at one stroke solve ourselves as individuals huge, huge, huge problems. Uh, the, the dream, the thought, the vision that the whole, the whole human race adopts a vegan diet, yeah. incredibly powerful, massively yeah. powerful. Uh, sure. It wipes out nearly all problems. You know, not not all problems, of course. It would be uh, misleading to to claim that. And I'm not knowledgeable enough of of, of of the amount of problems there are and, and solutions. But I do know that going vegan removes massive problems for not just ourselves, but also the people and, and the animals and the the the, the ecostructure that, that we share this earth with. So yeah. it's such an amazing thing. So yeah. Any time we can help uh, people go vegan is, is, a, is an awesome step forward for, for all of us. H- however, um, uh, it's also a message that um, nearly everybody rejects. Um, having been vegan 30 years and talked to many people about going vegan, I've found that almost without fail it's been rejected out of hand by people who are quite capable and quite competent to understand the the logistics and the arguments and the, and indeed agree with them completely, but still not be willing in, in, in certainly not willing to take a step towards me going vegan, you know, possibly, possibly looking at their diet, maybe modifying their diet, maybe reducing some dairy, maybe replacing some meat with other meat. Yeah. So it sounds like you're yeah. So I can hear obviously through doing that. Um, that's what's what's driving you. Just on your hemp business, um, in terms of a lot of some of the business owners I've spoken to have said that particularly if they're you know producing products and using materials that are you know vegan, maybe organic, they might be sustainable. Um, they tend to be they can be a bit of a higher cost in creating them. So I'm just curious as to whether that's a challenge for you, and and if so, how do you deal with that challenge? to remain competitive and attract clients? It, it is a huge challenge. Uh, interesting you should ask that question in regards to hemp. The price now and the availability of organic hemp has gone through the roof. It's, oh. it's a very expensive product. It's very hard to get hold of. Uh, the good quality hemp product, like Canadian hemp protein powder, for instance, where it's in very short supply, as it was very hard to get it out from Canada now to Europe. Uh, European organic hemp is in short supply. I believe that there's other crops that 
organic land has been used for perhaps have a high return. I don't know. I'm not totally up to date with the economics of the farming world, but uh, there's definitely a shortage. Uh, there's also a big increase in demand, of course, for organic hemp products. So, yeah, it's 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 an interesting one. It's it's certainly a challenging one for us right now. We've been with hemp well since 1991. I was part of the first UK hemp company to set up uh, as it in an advisory capacity, and that's gone to starting the UK hemp shop in 1994 through to developing uh, hemp clothing in this country in the 90s, and then in the in the last decade. In our current form of Yayo, with body care and, and hemp food products, uh, and now sort of decade on again, um, suddenly the price of organic hemp has shot up and it become very hard to source. So how do you cope with that in terms of with your clients? Like, do you sort of explain that or, you know, and use that as kind of in your marketing to say, look, you know, it is organic and it's really good quality and this is why we're having to charge a bit more for it like how are you i mean the organic you know the organic business is understood people are prepared to pay more but only i think if they think they're genuinely getting a better product uh, being oh, organic is not always a better product different organic crops react differently to organic pesticide residue etc so for instance my understanding is something like um uh, I believe avocados are quite hard to distinguish between organic and non-organic. There's not a lot in it, whereas something like a lettuce, which takes up a lot of pesticide residue, there's quite a big difference between an organic and a you know, non-organic lettuce. It's quite clear with an organic lettuce, you're definitely ingesting a lot less pesticides than a a non-organic one, whereas with an avocado, which I think there's only three percent difference or something in trace pesticide anyway, that's that's possibly you know the price of an organic avocado might be less big margin. With hemp, hemp is an organic crop anyway. Whether it's certified or not, hemp is an organic crop anyway. So the margin between the benefit of actually having an organic certified crop and a, what we call a conventional hemp crop is very, very small anyway. So there is a question as to whether the the need for an organic hemp product is actually a necessity, but given that conventional hemp is, is organic anyway, but not certified. In other words, if, if conventional hemp is a lot cheaper and more available, we'll have to consider replacing an organic hemp that's becoming very hard to source and very expensive with a conventional hemp, which is, is cheaper and more available, and actually very little difference in the, in the quality. Right, and I suppose you would explain that to customers. Yeah. As, yeah. As they get it. yeah, great, perfect. Cool. I think largely know with hemp that one of its benefits is it is very yeah. low demand by nature. On, on pesticides and, and, and fertilisers, it doesn't really need it. So, of course, farmers don't use it because pesticides and fertilisers are expensive, time-consuming. Yeah. If it doesn't need it, you're not going to use it. So yeah. whether or not you've got the organic certification to prove that or not, of course, it's different. Yeah. Uh, so that's an interesting one. I mean, you know, if we were cultivating lettuces, as I said, that would be different. There'd probably always be that demand for an organic lettuce because of the yeah. difference in the two products. 
Got it. Um, Tim, how much time do you spend, uh, and you can answer this for both the VegFest and your hemp business, how much time would you say on average you spend per week working on the business or the businesses in, rather than just in it? So what I mean is sort of doing that big picture strategizing, you know, looking for ways to grow rather than, you know, doing the day-to-day, filling the orders or, you know, get, doing the, the stuff, putting the events on. How much time do you get to kind of stand back and, you know, work on that big picture kind of stuff? That's a very good question. That's a very good question. I do <laughs> quite a lot more actually. Yeah. Now, the answer is now, with, actually with both Yayo and with VegFest, as with quite a lot of businesses, once you go into, I suppose, double figures, we do now have a support team. Uh, we've kept it constant. We haven't grown that much with Yayo, uh, which in many ways is great because it's meant it's stable and low maintenance. Uh, and, and it doesn't demand huge amounts. So, therefore, there is room. Uh, VegFest is an all-consuming it's just a total dedication. It doesn't stop. It's endless. Um, probably the hardest thing to deal with is actually after the event of a big event, and then you've got stuff. You've got stuff. You've got people who are not happy with this. They're complaining about that. They're, they're, there's, there's this issue. There's that issue. There's this opinion. There's somebody else's opinion, especially on social media. Of course, these days, these opinions are all quite bold and brave and, and in your face if, it's quite hard to get away from. And um, that can be quite difficult to deal with because it's, it's like you're still trying to recover and clear up and get things paid and deal with important issues like contractors and stock and storeholders and legalities maybe, authorities, you know, it's no peace, no peace. You just don't get, you can't get away from it really. And that's fine as long as you, you know, so you do get wrapped around it. So it's very important to make time to step out and literally go clear your head and perhaps, especially with Facebook and Twitter and stuff, you know, get away from some of that really, just let things settle and have a look at the world. and Try and remember that however important it is to you, your business, you know, it's only probably you and maybe your close team. For everyone else, it's, it's not that important. You know, it doesn't really matter that much to them. Yeah, sure, it's maybe it's of some importance, but it's not that much importance. Okay. It's hard to keep a perspective, and I think from a business perspective, and especially the advice that perhaps you're trying to look for for people coming into business and maybe running a vegan business, is to consider, yeah, is to consider, first of all, whether you really love it enough to be wrapped around it 10 years later and be able to put up with it, you know, uh, because it is, it can be like that, the novelty wears off. Unfortunately for a lot of us, business becomes that monotony of answering emails, packing orders, or, you know, sorting out problems for people and dealing with complaints and missing parcels and late deliveries and, you know, just the general mundane run-of-the-mill tax demands and this demand and some kind of inspection required or some exam to put, you know, it's just this end stuff. <laughs> that could put a lot of people off. You've got to be ready for that. But to then be able to step aside and get a perspective on where you're going, I think that's largely whether you've got a good team and whether you can delegate and whether you can trust the people who you delegate to to continue that work whilst you perhaps step out and 
give it that time that you know good leadership requires for a business because if you are to survive you can't stand still you've got to respond to market changes different you know influences um other people competitors as it were or people in the same trade who are perhaps you know going down your route maybe you know stepping in your toes maybe you know who knows you've got you've got to stay one step ahead so that's yeah. that's quite you know what you've touched on is quite important the leader has time to lead basically yeah that's a good point i love that i love that you shared that i think that's really important and particularly because you've been in business with both these um uh, things for for quite you know for a long time now um and i think it's really important that you share that that you can't just just because you've been around for a long time you can't, you can't just rest on your laurels and think it's all just going to tick you know carry on ticking you've got all these new things like you say from social media to new technologies changing markets so uh, i think that's really important i like that you've shared that as someone who's been in business for for quite some time Time. That's great. Um, so, in terms of um, well, the GFC. I don't know if this affected you. You know, we had the big financial crash, and your business kind of went through that and survived. What did you do to to get through that? And I know even in the UK now, the economic situation is still pretty horrendous. Um, and yet you, you're still managing to put on these events and run both your businesses. What, what, what advice, what have you done specifically and what advice would you give to other vegan business owners that might experience, if not a huge you know, thing like the GFC, but some kind of economic slowdown? Well, definitely varies from business to business uh in our case we just we didn't grow that much we were sort of held tight just about managed to stay in uh i think perhaps those that struggled more were those that had grown and perhaps sort of lumped prospective growth onto their current states and maybe those quite good boom years of 2006, 2007, especially in the UK, thinking back being in the natural products trade, which obviously where the most of the vegan businesses were. Uh, there were, there were, I remember some firms that set up around the same time as us, sort of 2001, 2002, 2003, who grew quite sharply. By that, I mean they invested in new premises, new equipment, new branding, staff. Perhaps they went from a team of four or five to a sort of team of 12 or 15, you know, with an office and IT requirements, phone, insurance, everything to match, you know. Then, of course, did their projected profits come in or their, their break-evens come in? Indeed? Of course, probably not, which caused, them, therefore, quite a lot of problems. We didn't grow that much. In 2006, 2007, we sort of peaked to about the capacity of where we were and rather than plan out for the next step we really actually developed VegFest more at that point so Yayo sort of plateaued and VegFest started growing from Yayo's perspective that was great that meant we survived we could manage and you know we weren't too big it was fairly manageable uh, but of course, it was a terms of investment. There's a case of banks weren't lending and stuff, so it required finance. That was challenging. We managed. Uh, you cut stuff accordingly, as we say. Uh, VegFest was um, 
quite a different, again, that was challenging. We were going through quite a big growth in the vegan lifestyles, but then quite a dip in the whole finances. So it was always interesting. Nobody had any money. You know? yeah. <laughs> so we had less stool holders and less sponsorship, less marketing. Certainly the first thing like a lot of people in that 2009, 2010, starting to drop in marketing. People weren't spending so much on advertising, sponsorship, you know, things right. like that. Yeah, so there's less, less big money around and less small money around too, you know. But in another way with the Veg Fest, it had a good effect in terms of, I said good, it was nothing particularly good about it, but it had a positive effect in terms of a lot of stallholders actually, people who might have just perhaps had a marketing budget, but suddenly they didn't have much, but they needed to go out and do something. And of course, getting out to a show, meeting your customers face to face with your branding, with your products, with a smile, with an enthusiasm. And if it's only going to cost you a hundred pound, and I don't know, maybe staff or maybe a bit of travel, maybe two, three hundred pound, maybe you're getting about I don't know, a thousand pound just in sales on the day, and lots of flyers out meeting your customer. You know, suddenly you've actually made a few pounds, and you've got your brand right out there. Oh wow, let's do more shows, you know, and especially good value shows, which yeah. are always for most people good value, not for everyone. One or two people would prefer them to be cheaper, but then we wouldn't be able to spend so much on, you know, we wouldn't basically have so many people there. Exactly. You know, cheaper hey, shows Tim, less people. So. Yeah, Tim, did you say as well then during that time that you spent less uh, on marketing and advertising? the bed fish or that other people weren't spending it as much with you unless with us but we cut our cloth again accordingly um yeah okay. we always marketed our shows really well yeah I remember in fact there was one occasion we probably didn't and uh, we noticed it you know we knew you could tell by the gate it was down, you know, there was less people. We hadn't really done a proper good marketing job. And that was for various reasons. That was around about 2010, I think. And then, you know, it was a time when it was very turbulent. A lot of us were really just hanging on in there, really. So perhaps if, you know, some didn't exceed to their usual standards, that then there might be a reason for that and an excuse for that. But, yeah, certainly from our perspective, I remember one show, we didn't really do a very good job marketing and, and it showed, you know, and unfortunately we realised that. We came back make sure next year we did a double effort. And yeah. now, you know, we can spend up to 40% of our budget on marketing. Uh, but that's why we get 10,000 people to Olympia, you know, yeah. because we really market our shows very, very yeah. wide and far. And we charge accordingly, you know. People yeah. come to VegFest, they'll pay... A, a part of their fee they're paying, they know that is to is is we're spending that on making sure that there's people coming to their stool, you know, simple as that. Those uh, people yeah. who buy stool space want people to their stool if they haven't got food. You know, there's all these other expenses like they've got staff, they've got travel, they've got accommodation, they've got set up admin time before and after, they've got the work they're missing, the energy levels required, the recuperation time. It's a big chunk out, you know. I mean, a big show can take out a week out of a small business like that. Everything's like, oh, you know. And uh, 
So, you know, for them, it's not really just about the stall price. It's also about how many people are going to come. Because if, if the stall price goes up, say, 20%, and that's all spent on marketing, probably 99% of the stallholders would be absolutely happy with that because it's not 20% rise overall to them. It's only a few percent rise overall. If they're getting double the people as a result, yeah. oh, well, then... Yeah. You know, but this is all business. This is where business experience comes in. Every show is different. Um, there's some shows in the UK, for instance, that are very much grassroots, volunteer led, don't have a big marketing budget, don't charge a lot for, for stalls. But because of the wealth of support and the vegan activists there, and the dedicated volunteers and the people who will stay up all night on Facebook posting for that, you know. Uh, yeah. They will get a decent crowd because they put the effort in, but they don't spend Got it. tens of thousands of pounds on, on marketing, you know, like we do. Tim, what kind of um, marketing do I be talking on marketing? What kind of marketing do you do, or that you found is most effective? Is it paid advertising, getting editorial in in media? Is it social media? Where would you say what are the key marketing strategies that you use that are most successful? Um, they vary. I mean, with Yayo, we just sort of tick over, really. We have a presence at the shows. Um, being out and about is, is really good for us. We do buy one, get one freeze at the stalls, at the shows. We do quite a few shows, probably do, I don't know, not that many, but I don't know, about eight, ten shows. We find shows, because a lot of them we get them for free, because we're either putting them on ourselves or sponsoring them. For Yayo, it, it's great, you know. And we've got some, we've actually got one or two volunteers who run our stalls too, really enthusiastic. They know our products really well. They're really knowledgeable. They love doing it. Uh, so it's a win-win for Yayo. Um, so Yayo doesn't really, you know, do that much. Obviously, we've got a Facebook page, a Twitter, and, you know, there's a kit to face about. Doesn't do that much, but then, you know, it's not really a growth area for us at the moment. Um, with VegFest, and it's always a growth area. It's always growing. It's always growing, changing, evolving. So what works for us best there is a variation, is a, is a, is a what you first to refer to as multimedia. So all of those things you mentioned. Probably now, because we are quite a well-known brand as such in the UK within our genre, Lots of people now have heard of VegFest, whereas five years ago, people hadn't really heard of VegFest. Now they have. Now, PR works really, really well for us. PR means, you know, get, you know, your brand is placed in, 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 in newspapers, journalists, bloggers, all sorts of places, online websites, um, but mainly in, in the papers, you know, the papers and magazines. And, and you pay specialists to do that, and, and we've got probably four PR firms we work with with VegFest. Okay, specialists, one of them is a real specialist to get us on the radio. We do a lot of radio work. So on, for instance, uh, before Lon- London shows, probably on a six or eight big radio shows including one or two prime ones like the Gabby Roslin on, on Sunday I was a guest on the Gabby Roslin BBC Radio London's got a couple of million listeners or something you know right. yeah 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 so uh, we've had some good high profile shouts we're on the Metro which is the big free 
yeah. Given away all over London on Tuesday. A nice piece in there. That was our PR team. Uh, we were in um, uh, Hello magazine with a competition. <laughs> <laughs> wow, veganism <laughs> shown mainstream. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> um, some sort of, you know, absolutely outrageous publications about the last place you know that's PR paid advertising also works quite well for us especially when you work with um, a magazine and they'll work with your editorial department too so you're getting paid advertising in conjunction with editorial that works really well for us and we don't mind especially the free magazines yeah. happy to provide a small budget for advertising if they're happy to provide a small space for an editorial. It sort of works both ways, and that can work really well. You get a lot of good coverage with – and it's nice because you're supporting free magazines generally quite yeah. often the independents. Yeah. That's a nice thing to do. Um, but to be fair, really, tw- Twitter and Facebook – I mean, flyers and posters still work really well. Printed flyers and posters is a really nice way to engage with supporters too. People who want to go and put some flyers out, help you a bit, mail out. A lot of the stool holders will take flyers, put them out on their stools, put them out on other shows. Great way to cheap, easy, but, you know, no doubt Facebook and Twitter have, have completely stolen a march on everything. Uh, really? Yeah, especially for... Even on Facebook, because you know Facebook has pissed off a lot of people um, because now it only shows posts to only a small number of your fans unless you pay to boost. Have you found that's been an issue or do you just well, pay it's to boost? Right. It's true, but they're a business. They're entitled to do that. Um, they give a free service that if you're a, if you're a, just a person, as I say, just a person, if you are a person who just wants to use Facebook to share with your friends, picture of your party or a lot lot of my pals just use facebook for for social reasons uh those of us that want to use them for commercial reasons like ourselves we don't mind paying facebook why why should i mean it's it's the same for us as vegetables and we will give free to anybody you know we'll always help people promote the free vegan thing or try and help you know but when it comes to you want some serious promotion work done it's like well yeah obviously you've got to pay us because we, we haven't got totally that amount of time to be able to vote otherwise and there's costs involved so with facebook we don't mind paying it and it's very effective obviously it was great in the old days a couple of years ago when you put a post up and you get thousands of free posts and reads and shares now <laughs> But for us, we've literally just done a, literally just now, just done a, a paid post for another show of ours, uh, not of ours, another show in the UK, the West Midlands Vegan Festival that we're supporting and sponsoring. And I mean, yeah, you, you get your money's worth, I'd say. Uh, you spend £50 promoting it, you'll get, you know, what you don't get for free, you certainly do get when you pay. And we would say that Facebook actually provides as good a value as any of the people we advertise with, if not better. So, right, that's good to know. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, that's, that's our opinion. Of course, these yeah. days, Twitter is free, and that will go to anybody. That's not been, you know, see, if you've got your Facebook and Twitter linked up, then you get the best of both worlds. Yeah, 
Tim, what would you say have been the key lessons you've learned? Because you've obviously been in business for a long time now, like with your hemp, you know, since the 90s. You're obviously very experienced in business um, and running your own business and businesses. What would you say have been the key lessons that you've learned, whether that's about yourself personally or professionally or whatever? What, what's it taught you? being in business? Well, if you're in business and something that you love doing, I mean, it, it, you know, it's a vegan thing. I mean, it's all new. It's a growing thing. We're very lucky to have. You know, like our kids don't have any new music to listen to. We've done all that for them. You know, there's no chance of discovering house music again or punk rock or, or, or psychedelic electric blues. You know, that's what we've done. You know, it's all been, it's all on a recycle now. So there, there is no new popular music, particularly <laughs> likely to come out. Yeah, it's all been done. Uh, but with this whole vegan thing, suddenly, you know, our generation, I say our generation, generation of people perhaps born in the 60s and 70s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and now, of course, younger, are able to pioneer whole businesses. And indeed, people are perhaps coming into setting up, you know, younger people, people in their teens and 20s who are setting up their first businesses. You know, they've got opportunities in a whole new developing market that unbelievably we haven't latched onto 30, 40, 50 years ago en masse. So I left the door there, Al. Can you just answer the door? You might be posted. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, so in those respects, we're very lucky that we've got this sort of passion thing you can really get passionate about. It's relatively easy to do a vegan business. There's plenty of opportunities still, and we're seeing in the UK, obviously, as a stallholder, we can see, uh, as a show, doing the shows, we can see our stallholders, you know, we get to see a lot of new vegan business ideas. For instance, the new one that several people have successfully done is doing a kind of vegan kind of top box type thing, like a vegan monthly subscription box. So you get a kind of box and you get like a number of different vegan items in there and you pay a subscription of £10 a month or something. Every month you just, oh, great, you get this. And it's not quite always sure what's in it. It could be a different sort of things, you know. What that's interesting about that is it works really well in some parts of the country. Mm. Not so well in others, and the difference being in probably somewhere like Bristol, for instance, where we live, you can buy all this vegan stuff like just about anywhere. You know, I mean, I've only got to fortunately, I've only got to walk fifty yards, and I've in touch with two, three specialist vegan out, outlets. Whereas, of course, here in another part of the country, in the UK, you, you don't have that option. You can walk for miles and never see yeah. a vegan chocolate bar or cake, biscuit. So, for for for, for certain people, that's a Big demand, big growth. Other people just not interested, you know. They can get what sort of qualities would you say that you need to, to run a vegan business? And, and also, if someone's employed and they're looking to make that shift to running their own business, what do they need to take into account and what qualities do they need to run a business? Quite a lot of people come to me and ask me about starting a business, doing this and that. And quite a few people are like quite far down the line. And then you ask them, you say, have you got a business plan? Like, what? <laughs> Have you worked out your margins? Yeah, yeah, sorry to interrupt, Katrina. Uh, which package is degrees? The guys collecting stuff for 
right? You've got to make sure that your uh, passion and enthusiasm for a project, which obviously you're going to need to start up a new business, doesn't um, completely exclude attention to margins, overheads, legalities, uh, competition, uh, how some kind of idea of how you're going to market your products, how you're going to sell them, how stable is your production. You know, there's quite a lot of key issues to look into. Um, it, it's important you don't plan yourself out of your business, but at the same time, it's also important to have a look and try and avoid some of the pitfalls. You know, for, for instance, an obvious one is your business. It, you know, if your volume goes up, does your costs go up a lot? You know, or do they stay about the same, maybe go up a little bit, you know? Uh, does your workload go up a lot? Can you actually cope with an increase in volume? You know, if, if you've got a pre-boxed item and you go from selling 100 units to 1,000 units in a week, that might be fine. It means you've just got to stick half a dozen more boxes on a pallet. You know, it might be an hour's extra work. But if you're, I don't know how, making, you know, pizzas and you go from 100 to 1,000, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of prep, cooking, shopping, etc. So you need to look at your margins and you, you, you know how you're going to grow a business and how it would grow, um, and see if it's got a, a length to it, to a shelf life. Because a lot of businesses are good, but they don't necessarily have a shelf life. Therefore, it's not necessarily worth all the trouble and time and expense of setting up a business. Uh, and the sacrifices you had to make. Um, most businesses require a period of time of where you sort of had to have some other kind of income or live off your existing income or, or capital whilst you build a business into a shape where it will, you know, function on a profitable level. If indeed that's your 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 aim, and you've got to make sure that you're, I don't know, got enough business in you. You know, you've got to like doing business. If you don't like, if money's a dirty word for you, it's possibly not a great idea to set up in business. Are you going to be able to live with the compromises that you might have to make? There's a very interesting article from John Bird in The Big Issue this week where he talks about um, contradictions uh, where you do one thing but it actually makes a contradiction in, in another area. So on the one hand, it might be a really good idea to do something or to take that approach or that that line, but that might contradict. It might have a contradiction in another part of your business. So especially if you're an ethical business, you've got to make your decisions. You know, are you flexible enough? You need to have a degree of flexibility, but then also are you ethical enough to be an ethical business? Do you actually care about your ethics enough or do you care about them too much? Either can yeah. be an issue, you know. Yeah. This is really good stuff. I'm so glad you brought that up. And it's really something that I'm finding, even, you know, it has been for myself in the past and I know with others when you're running that ethical business, whether it's vegan or, you know, sustainable and all those things, fair trade and all of that, it is that whole thing about, like you said, money and being in business. It's about changing that mindset or just don't bother doing it. So I think that's that's actually really, really important what you said there. Thank you for, for sharing that for sure. Um 
Um, I think we've covered that one actually. Um, and you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned you'd got the PR and stuff. Oh, yeah. So just in terms, I guess, of the use of the word vegan um, in your marketing material. So obviously you've got Veg Fest. So it's not Vegan Fest, it's Veg Fest. Um, and then you've got your, your hemp products. What are your kind of thoughts on like some people say, right, if you use the word vegan, um, it can scare people away. And others say, well, actually, it's very clever at niche marketing because you define your market. Can you just talk me through some of what your reasoning for the use of the word vegan or not in your marketing materials and promotions and why? Okay, well, briefly, just look at Yayo first. When we set Yayo up, we definitely took a distinct decision to have the Vegan Society trademark on our products and to define ourselves as vegan, identify with the vegan community. This is before VegFest, so, you know, this is at a time when Yayo just stood alone as a young hemp company. We definitely, do, you know, we being vegan myself, being a vegan company, there weren't that many of them. We wanted to be you know, firmly identified as a vegan company. And that's, that, that's been great, you know, to, to, to this day now we have incredible loyalty from basically people who love our products, partly because we are a vegan company and we support vegan events. That's definitely been for Yayo. I, I would say it's been every, it's been very positive being identified as a vegan product and with a yayo as a body care and food product and a natural products trade. Vegan has always been cool and interesting. And, you know, uh, so I suppose yayo being a hemp product and a sort of, we were one of the first like paraben free, SLS free brands. Also we'll call it kind of natural body care in 2002. There were very few certain UK brands around. So we were kind of, you know, yeah, we were loud and proud vegan, but that was because the the market we were identifying with was always going to be vegan friendly, especially the people who were deciding, shall we take this range on in our shop? Likely that, you know, out of the team running the shop, quite a few people would be either vegan, vegetarian, or certainly vegan, vegetarian friendly. So that worked for us. With the Veg Fest, we started off actually as Bristol Vegan Fair, and we found that worked against us and the difference was was that we as a festival we were trying to appeal to the mainstream we wanted to attract people who were of no particular dietary persuasion or background just people we just want people along people to come and have a good time come and have a veggie burger come and feel the vibe you know have a good time feel good about themselves sure if they want a positive you know uh, introduction to the vegan lifestyle, brilliant. Here it is. There's some really good caterers. There's some fantastic stalls, stall holders, you know. And of course, for people who are already vegan or also vegetarian, it's great. You've got these products, it's food, choice, it's a great time, you know. Um, but we also found that, especially, you know, the vegan thing put people off. And we found that instead of our audiences growing, they were beginning to dwindle. And the reason we did some research into it and what we found, amazingly, was actually, yeah, people would think, oh, a vegan festival, well, that's for vegans. So if I'm not vegan, then that's not for me. Um, so that was a common reaction, much perhaps like many people might say something like, <laughs> you know, perhaps a religious festival is like, oh, well, that's for people who of that religion. That's not for just everybody, you know. Uh, so, that, you know, there's other similarities. People basically put off by the word vegan because they just assumed it was for vegans. And if they're not vegan, why would they go to a vegan event? Uh, 
and the, the other reason, the other thing we found was vegetarians, of which there are many in the Bristol area. West Country has very always been vegetarian friendly. A lot of vegetarians put off by vegans. Wow. <laughs> felt quite uncomfortable and quite sort of sensible <laughs> and quite, you know. And, and undoubtedly there is within the vegan community quite a strong, you know, sort of um, approach. There's quite a lot of vegans who are quite forceful in their belief and quite quite clear cut about them and quite... Quite find it quite hard to accept that other humans disagree with them or don't yet understand, you know, or haven't had the benefit perhaps of being introduced to, or, you know, the support. Myriad of reasons, or they've just rejected it. They just like eating animal products. They don't really see it as cruel or this and that. Uh, and uh, vegetarians especially found our event quite off-putting. Uh, now, as soon as we changed and became veg fest, it completely changed the dynamic. Unbelievable, yeah. really. Yeah. yeah. More friendly, a lot more inclusive. First thing we found was there was a lot of vegetarian people who said, oh, great, you know, we kind of feel welcome now. There was also a huge amount of what we call now flexitarians, people who eat meat and dairy, but quite happy to reduce their meat and dairy, quite happy to look between what's you know, where the meat comes from and, you know, welfare issues. And so uh, they, these people were also finding our shows a lot more attractive. Obviously, though, there'll be some um, some vegans who also found it, you know, a bit of a letdown that we sort of took the vegan word out and they didn't really agree with this. They didn't really see it, you know, the way we saw it. Well, we're opening up to a lot more people. They're saying, well, no, you're watering down a vegan message, you know. Uh, there, there's an element of truth in both. There's, there's again, what John Bird in the big issue would refer to as contradictions. Uh, yeah. The vegan thing is quite contradictory in that for, for people who are vegan, it's 100% common sense, obvious choice. How on earth could anybody not be vegan? <laughs> We're yet to be vegan. It's like, well, how on earth could you be vegan? You know, <laughs> what I want to do, I've got to give this up, that, I've got to read all the labels. <laughs> So there, there is again this contradiction, and of course, a lot of people when they go vegan, they're like outraged at themselves for being uh, somebody who's abused animals for all of their life up until the point they become vegan. And then, of course, they to transfer that outrage and hostility to other people because that's my putting. And if you get a large gang of people who are like that, it's really off-putting. And anybody thinking about going vegan is kind of met with this, you know, <laughs> hostile, judgmental thing, which is totally understandable. But in reality, it also causes people to push away from the common sense of the vegan thing. It's a very challenging one. It's one that, as VegFest, we just do our best to try and be inclusive and keep it clear that we're a vegan event on the day, everything's vegan on the day, but right. outside of that, it, we're not judging, we're not making the judgments, we're not calling the shots, everyone's welcome if you choose to be vegan outside of it, that's brilliant, if you try to be vegan and lapsing a bit, well, you know you've got our support and understanding if you dabbling a bit with a vegan and not really sure, then it's like yeah, have more of it, come back you know, and if you can't, have, well, I don't really I'm that interested, but I might be persuaded a little bit. It's like, well, come back, we'll have another go. And it's like, no, <laughs> don't want any of this vegan stuff. 
Well, you're still welcome to come back. There might be a day when you do want some of it. So until that day, just come and join the, join the fun. And that's our approach. I really like that. I think that's really, really important because, like you say, they, those are those discussions, you know, because I've been asking a lot of people that question and a lot of the business owners, and they've all got the different um, opinions. And it depends on their business and their market. And, like, one of them is um, runs, like, a health center in America, and she's, like, a, a vegan acupuncturist and Chinese medicine, but she doesn't really use that. I mean, it, she doesn't hide it in her bio, but she doesn't broadcast it all over her internet because she said she wants you know, people to come in and not to be put off immediately. So she's actually reaching a bigger audience. So, yeah. And I think VegFest, it's similar. It's like, look, we want people to, there's enough opposition and vegan thing out there already. You know, let's not make it, look, if people don't like the word vegan, if that's what puts them off, all right, don't call it vegan. You know, if, if what you're trying to do is get people to kind of come in and share and taste and experience, which is yeah. certainly what we're trying to do, then if that puts them off, don't you know? Don't don't put them off. Why why make things harder when they're already hard enough? So, but you know, I also totally get why there's a frustration too amongst people who are very committed vegans who want to see a very loud, clear, consistent message that is go vegan, stay vegan. <laughs> there is no compromise. It's it's a moral obligation that we do this it's not about a healthy lifestyle or about a dietary choice or a you know indeed a lifestyle choice or, or, or a belief system it's, it's a whole 100 percent complete conviction that yeah. animals are not ours to treat as our own in any way and therefore we have to live 100 percent vegan whether we choose to or not like to or not it's just that's how it should be and you know, there's a part of me who's been vegan 30 years who totally agrees with that. And then there's another part of me that is also, well, you know, none of my family choose to be vegan. or Maybe one of them does now, or, but they're all vegan friendly. And really, I choose to accept them as they are. I don't wish to impose my own beliefs on other people, especially close people I love and respect and value. I don't want to be imposing my own beliefs on them. I always want to help them perhaps go down that route but it's always their choice you know that yeah. that stays the same it's, it's an individual's choice and yeah. until the day that changes you know i respect that that's the the overriding law is do what they will should be the whole of the law and that is how it is as the law is you know individuals act as they wish and we had that right to do that you know. unfortunately that means we also had the right to kill and, 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 and eat animals um, but that's something that has to change by persuasion and by love and tolerance and understanding not by force You know, that's not something we can force on humans it's something we've got to leave humans towards generally. Which you're doing beautifully with the festivals, of course, like you say, because you're getting getting other people in, which is great. So just final two questions, um, Tim. So you mentioned you've got a mailing list so you send out like via email. What some um, system do you use? Like do you use something like MailChimp, Infusionsoft? Do you know which one you use? We use day response. Day response? Sorry? Which one? We which what's it called? Ones. We use different ones for different for different, we've got different mailing lists, so we use different different systems. You know, oh, okay. So you can use Outlook, you know, may use MailChimp, 
me is also like a dedicated bulletin um, software to, you know, oh, okay. so we use different ones, but uh, uh, the, the Outlook is free, obviously, but more limited. MailChimp is free to a level, but then once you go over a level, it starts costing money, but you can be a lot more professional. But then you can go up to sort of serve, you know, a more technical area where you, you know, you're, you must have been signed up to and you were signing up and you're sending stuff out and perhaps you're paying money for, for you know. So we use all three. And, and any other tools or technology that you find essential or really important in the course of running your businesses? Yes, a good sense of humour is the most. <laughs> See, if you take yourself too seriously, I think you you, you slip up somewhere you know the only way to survive the minefield is to not take yourself too seriously it's an incredibly powerful tool actually uh, it's very disarming to try and argue with somebody who just doesn't take themselves too seriously um, it's, it's a very very good tool and it's quite hard but you were talking about you know running a business and I mean for me running a business is basically living my life you know the, the, the two are totally entwined I don't separate my life and my business they are, you know, one and the same. Lessons in life can be lessons in business, you know, they can be the same. Entwine, I don't really separate them. And undoubtedly, if you're running a business, especially if you're going to set up anything where you're hoping to try and change people's perspectives, don't take yourself too seriously, you know. So that was Tim Barford of Yayo and VegFest UK. You can find out more at yayo.co.uk and vegfest.co.uk. And you can find both those links on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts. Now for our vegan business news roundup. Australian raw organic vegan chocolate brand Parna Chocolate has knocked Cadbury's off the shelves at Etihad Stadium in Melbourne. According to 3AW radio show, Etihad management are ditching dairy and replacing their chocolate offering with Parna. Reactions to the move have been mixed, particularly because Parna bars are smaller and they're more expensive because of the company's high ethics compared to regular chocolate brands. But this is a bold move by Etihad Stadium and let's hope this is a success and that we see more organisations embracing the ethical choice. So huge kudos and congratulations to Parna Chocolate. Around 15,000 people turned out to the Vegan Street Fair in Los Angeles at the weekend. This new annual event, organised by Jessica Schoek, featured over 90 food vendors selling an array of vegan dishes, and folks in North Hollywood couldn't get enough. According to a video taken by renowned TV journalist Jane Velez-Mitchell of janeunchained.com, Schoek says the vendors are a mix of all vegan brands, along with non-vegan brands serving vegan on the day. This, says Schoek, gives non-vegan vendors the opportunity to see how popular and in-demand vegan food is, which will encourage them to make more of it. And ultimately, of course, the aim is for them to switch to all vegan. Now, I love vegan events like this because they offer the chance for people from all walks of life, vegan and non-vegan, to experience vegan living in a fun, non-threatening way. They get to see how creative vegan food can be. So it's exciting that so many large crowds are flocking to this kind of thing. And of course, it creates a great opportunity for vegan businesses to showcase and sell their wares to the masses. 
Finally, eating vegan could slash planet warming emissions, prevent several million deaths per year by 2050, and save billions of dollars annually in healthcare costs and climate damage, according to new research, reports NBC News. The study, which was published in the Proceedings of the National National Academy of Sciences, is the first to estimate both the health and climate change impacts of a global move towards a more plant-based diet, say researchers at Oxford University. Now, of course, this isn't news to most vegans. We know this and we've been talking about it for years. But it's great to have these facts validated and reported widely in the media because it highlights the important role of and the opportunities for vegan businesses operating in the food space. If ever there was a time to open a vegan or a plant-based food business, it's now. As I've reported in previous podcast episodes, there are massive things happening in the plant-based food sector. It really is an exciting time to be in this area. Now, this report also offers PR opportunities. On this podcast, I like to offer media tips wherever I can. As you know, my background is journalism and I help vegan business owners and entrepreneurs to get media coverage by teaching you and coaching you how to do your own PR. So reports like this are a great hook or angle to hang a story on. So if you're in the vegan food space, you can pitch stories or offer comment. If you're a nutritionist or a plant-based health professional, again, you can put yourself forward to offer expert comment to a whole range of media. This is one of the easiest ways to get media coverage, by responding to a current story. Journalists are always looking for different angles or ways to report on an existing story. Now, that's one of many tips and strategies I cover in my pre-recorded webinar training, How to Get Media Coverage for Your Vegan Project or Business, which you can find out more about at veganbusinessmedia.com. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please consider giving it a review and a rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. I'm Katrina Fox from veganbusinessmedia.com and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode. Bye for now. 